All right, y'all, we're going to get started and continue our study in Hebrews. It's good to see you all. Um, hello, Corey. Um, yeah, it's working. <laughs> Bye, Corey. Um, last week, we talked a little bit about Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. And um, just to summarize a little bit of what we what we were talking about, um, up to this point, the author of Hebrews has been giving us a ton of theological information. Um, he's talked about how Jesus is the better than the angels, right? Jesus is greater than Moses. He is the better high priest. He, he is the initiator of a better covenant and a better temple, right? He's ultimately, he's better. Um, but all that theology does not just go to waste. It's not just something that he puts in their heads. He is doing that to actually move their hearts. And so when we get to Hebrews 10, 19, or we, we're getting to this kind of shift in the book of Hebrews. And now he is transitioning from these great theological doctrines and he's applying them to the people. And he's saying, you know this theology, you know this truth, here's what you do with it. And so last week we talked about Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, and we're going to continue talking about that a little bit today, and we're going to finish the rest of Hebrews um, 26 through 39. Uh, but before we get started, can I have somebody read Hebrews 10, 19 through 39 for us, and then uh, somebody else to pray, and then we'll get started. Okay. Cool. Anybody want to pray? Thanks, Thomas. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence and eternal afflictions by the blood of Jesus, by the new living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and flush of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversary. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses died without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who freed you. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abide for Therefore, do not throw away your confidence with a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. 
but my breath is going to me if I fade, and he, he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Thank you for this day. Thank you for keeping us Thank you for being us here to worship your community and read your word and gather. Would you bring your word and we be by your spirit and you open eyes and eyes the truth that's in your Thank you for your time and for the gospel. Pass on Jesus in the right. So last week, I kind of gave us a little primer into this whole section. Today, I'm going to give you more of what that this whole section entails. Um, and if we were to break up this, this, this passage into three sections, you, you could see it like this. 19 through 25, he's giving them encouragement of what they should do. And 26 through 31, he's giving them a warning of what to, to expect. And in 32 through 39, he's reminding them of their past faiths. And all these things, the exhortation, the warning, and the reminder is to encourage them to persevere, right? So we have the, the exhortation, the warning, and the reminder. And so last week we talked about 19 through 25, which was the encouragement, some, some commands for what they could do to persevere. And we said that they, he commanded them to do three things. Does anybody remember what those three things were? Yes. Draw near. You see that in verse 22. Let us draw near, as in approach God, go to him with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And he also gave us two reasons for those things. And, this is, and, and those two reasons are seen in 19 and 20, because we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus and the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh. And so Jesus' sacrifice on the cross gives us access to God. And because of that, because we now have access to God through his sacrifice, the author of Hebrews says, you should utilize that and draw near. So draw near to God. We talked about that a little bit last week. And then we also talked about briefly what it means to hold fast to the confession, right? Jesus' sacrifice is the only way to God, right? There's no other way to get to God. And we, we saw this earlier in chapter 10. Um, but when Christ, in verse in 10, 12, it says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. This is in contrast to the multitude of sacrifices that the... Um, the, the Jews were used to doing. They were trying to go back to the old ways, the old temple ways, and offer up continual sacrifices. No, we hold fast to the confession that no, there is one confession, or there's one sacrifice, and that is Jesus and his single sufficient sacrifice on the cross. And so we're called to draw near to God and hold fast to the confession that we have. And we, what we didn't get to talk about last week and that we're, we're going to spend some time talking about this morning is the third thing that he tells us to do in verses 23 through 25, or sorry, 24 through 25. And he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this is the third thing that he tells us to do in this encouragement exhortation section. Why do you think we're called to draw near in light of the fact that Jesus has won us by his sacrifice? How do those two things, how does Jesus' all-time sufficient sacrifice, what does it have to do with community and us stirring each other up? We have our community, and that's the only way we can stir each other up is by reminding each other of things that he's done for us. The reason why we meet, the reason why we have something in common with him. Hmm. It's the subjects of that word, unity. Yeah. We, every walk of life is pulled together in Christ, all ethnicities, hmm. uh, nationalities, all unity in Christ. Hmm. And if you look at the analogy that's used in the scriptures of the body. Mm-hmm. And we are all parts of that body. Mm-hmm. The hand does not attack the rest of the body. The the you know the, the, the body is not divided if it's healthy. Um, yes, there are immune things, but that's something wrong. And so Unity is what is the way we will function best. Mm. When when Christ gave his his life as a sacrifice to to win to you know defeat sin and death, who did he win? Did he win just one person? He won a he won a people, right? And so. Christ's sacrifice is not just something that is individual to me. It is, it is, you know, applied to me, right? But it's he won for his people as a whole. And so it makes sense that his his sacrifice naturally entails us stirring up one another to love and good works. We're called to live in community. We're called to to stir one another up. Um, and that begs the question of. Who, who in our church, who, who in our church do we need to stir up to loving good works, right? If we're, if we're called to be encouraging and if we're called to, you know, stir each other up, what does that look like? Do you guys have any thoughts? What, is it, what does it look like to stir one another up to, to loving good works? Yeah. But yeah. Uh, some ways that can be better in in our particular work, in our uh, just the things that God is teaching us, sharing that mm. around. You know, I'm reading first day on RGC or you yeah. know, songs or something, and I come across something, the encouragement that comes along with the show, Rex. Yeah. And he's been reading Ephesians you know, or something, and then like we're able to just uh, back and forth encourage one another and grow as a congregation in worship, mm. not just isolated individuals. Yeah. Yeah. So actually talk to one another. <laughs> right. 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 So tell it, tell people what we're learning. Isn't that, isn't that kind of, kind of weird. Now, does this only need to occur on a Sunday morning? Yeah. All through the week. How, how, I mean, how difficult is it for, you know, me or someone else to send another person a text and say, hey, brother, I was thinking about you this morning, praying for you. And 
here's some scripture that I learned about, I thought of you, you know? Very simple way. Like, this is not something difficult, but it is something that we, I think we have to be proactive about, right? You don't just do that by accident. You have to, you have to think about it, right? What are some other ways in which we can encourage each other and stir each other up to loving good works? I see, I get that someone's mm. maybe not utilizing mm. Mm. Or you know, gently remind them and say, hey, you can bless people with your ability to sing or your ability to serve. Or, I know that your cinnamon rolls. <laughs> 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 yeah, so just so basic encouragement, right? Not even just telling them what we're learning, but also telling them how we see God working in their lives. See, this is really simple. To stir, to stir one another, or even just, you know, hey, you know what, you have a good connection with this guy at work. Maybe, have you tried sharing the gospel with him? You know, very simple things in which we could, we could, we could be thinking about stirring up each other for loving good works. And so, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Pay attention. <laughs> Pay attention to the people we see around us, not mm. just our closest friends. Mm. I'm speaking to myself here too. Yeah. And look for that person whose face, face doesn't look like to the world. That person who looks like maybe they're struggling. Yeah. And just walk up and say, hey, how can I encourage you? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're good. Keep, keep it going. This is good. Just like Jerry said, I almost, I relate with like, Stirring up in the sense of gentle prodding, or like, yeah, mm -hmm. in the sense of like, there's multiple believers, and we trying to gather once a week, but also like, we're trying to be strategic to reach the other people in the workplace. I know, like, you and Corey and Justin are working with, like, yeah, in the, in, in the workplace, can be a reminder not to become complacent, like, mm. keep, that, keep that pot stirring and not let it settle and just sort of simmer. Mm. So, I think. Encouraging to keep fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Encouragement to fight. Yeah. See, this goes far. This is far reaching, right? There's a lot of different ways in which we can stir up one another. And these are all really, really good reasons. Um, one that I was thinking about briefly is, is, is if, if we see a need of the body, right, a, a practical need, then it's encouraging and we can stir each other up by actually serving that need. So if we see a need, let's fill that need, right? Um, I think about. Um, you know, Don and Charlotte Abernathy, who, you know, are going through the hard time, right? That's a need in which we could just go sit with them and visit them. And I mean, that's, you know, convicting to myself because I haven't done it myself, but that's a, a vital need that we could, we could fill as a church, right? But I think it goes even further than that too. If you have a need, right? If you are struggling with something, you should make that need known, right? It's, it's, there's, there's that give and take of, serve the needs in what you see, but also let your needs be known and let the, let the body come and support each other and let them do those good works in our own body. And that will speak to the, you know, the entire community. Um, briefly before we, we keep going, but he, he keeps on going. He doesn't just say, stir each other to good works and in love. He says that in a positive sense, but he also gives us a negative sense in which we, we sh a, a negative way in which we should, um, this is a way not to stir each other up <laughs> to loving good works. And he says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the importance of, of the regular meeting 
of God's people? What, what purpose does that serve? Staying active in everybody's mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. is that community. And so when you go and you leave, it's hard to keep up and follow up. Mm-hmm. And then, then you're, you know, then of course it's the whole outside, out mind, right? You know, nobody is following them and they just leave and so just to kind of add mm-hmm. the, uh, absolutely yeah. and when we do part of the warning the warning is, is that when you depart from something that is good you no longer partake in that goodness and so you will forget of all all the things that actually are good about being in with, and with other believers don't forget about everything that has to do with god because it's part of the means of grace that we have as the community believers around us. And that means of grace is not only to stir us up to love and good works, but to remind us of all the good works that God's done. Yeah. And what he has. And you cannot do that. I mean, just take our Sundays. We're saying you always you hold me fast. <laughs> um, what a song, right? And that is to stir us up to know God to love and good works. To remind us of who God is, but if you're by yourself and you're just listening to a random radio station, are you going to hear something so bad? Mm-hmm. Why not? There's, there's not one of us who fully loves God either. So you can't isolate yourself and still fully know God because He's just beyond what any one person can comprehend. Um, so coming together, we can learn from one another and more about who God is and, and know God even further. Like if you look at just the Gospels, for the same use of words over and over again, but because you're getting the perspective of different men who wrote these things down and took down this account of the same exact events, we can know God more fully through hearing the same thing from four different people. Uh, and one of the ways that you know the Bible said, one of the ways that God has reached out to us is in setting up the Bible in a way where we hear what God has done in different people's lives, and from there we can know Him more fully. Uh, because a lot of it's just, you know, God did this with these people, and God did this with these people, and God did this with these people. And if we neglect to meet with the people who are alive right now that God is working through, then we're going to fail to see a lot of the things that he's doing, and we're going to fail to know him the way that we should, because we are just not getting together with the people who know him. Well, you're also not going to meet together in, in your presence and worship. Yeah. It's not like that really, but it's also, it's encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, coming back to what we were just talking about, I'm stirring one another up. Mm-hmm. One of the motivators to stir one another up is by being present together. And so I think one of the things that we have done is we've undervalued individual presence and worship and how that's an encouragement to those who are around us. Yeah, and I just, yeah. And I, that's, that's another thought that comes to me. Because somebody, can, can you, can, there's a way in which you can, um, be somewhere, but not be there. Yeah. Right? Be present, but not be present. So this is not just, I don't think this is just saying, you know, come to the service every Sunday. Right? Because what does he say? But encouraging one another. Yeah. Right? So if you're here, you have to be present and encouraging and participating in the body. So this is not just saying, hey, make sure you come to church every Sunday. No. 
Because the purpose is to encourage each other, right? The purpose of coming is to be with the body. So if you are here and not with the body, then you're not really fulfilling the spirit of what the author of Hebrews is, is, is trying to get at. And so this is a, this is a, a point to us, right? Yeah, go. As one of the newer people here, uh, this has been just being with this body has fed my soul each time I said it is more. Because this body is, has become dear and precious to me. Uh, you all, by just loving the Christ that you see in me, as what to whatever degree you see that, and encouraging that, are feeding my soul. Mm. And at the same time, I am experiencing through things like uh, the two young men that, that sit with me most Sundays, the, the opportunity to minister to their souls. Mm. And not only do I pray that that's helping them, but it is such an encouragement to me mm. to see God using me in their lives to, to nourish their souls. Uh, you can't have that without spending time together. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. it just doesn't work. It's all through text messages. It's true. I mean, those things are great. Yeah. But that time with them, that uh, time with you all, it can't be replaced. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a good kind of a good takeaway. And, and I think we can ask ourselves this question. You know, you want to, we don't have to answer this, but the question is who in our congregation do we need to encourage? Who, who should we be spending more time with? Where in our week can we give away more time to spend with the body? And um, what ways can we be stirring up one another? Those are questions that we should be asking ourselves and taking away with when we read a text like this and then be consciously thinking about it and then actually doing it, right? Don't just ask the question and then let it be there, but actually ask the question and then think, how can I actually actually live this out, right? And so, any other thoughts on that before we move on to the next couple of verses? Is there any reason why uh, at the end of the verse says the day drawing near and it's mm. the capital? Yeah. What, what day is normally thought about? Well, I mean, I think it's kind of obvious in the next section too, but... The day is capitalized. It's normally referring to the the day of the Lord, right? When when He will return, yeah. So it's even that's a good, that's a really good point and something, yeah, we glossed over. But this is even more important as Jesus is coming back soon, right? We especially with the sense of we need to persevere to the end, and so as the day is coming near, then we need more encouragement before before He gets here. We need it's just going to get harder in some senses as, as the days go on. And so I think it's referring to the day of the Lord and his return and also his judgment. So, yeah. And so that kind of sums up the encouragement section. Draw, draw near, hold fast, um, stir up each other to loving good works because of the confidence that we have in Jesus's sacrifice and what he's done for us. 
So if we go on, we, we transition from 19 through 25 to 26 through 31, where he gives this warning. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a furry of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God." So you get this very intense warning <laughs> after this, after this really, you know, encouraging, like, all right, go, go do this. Now there's this intense warning. Um, let, let me ask a question. How is deliberately sinning um, uh, an act of trampling underfoot the Son of God or profaning the blood of the covenant or outraging the spirit of grace? How, how does deliberate sin do all those things? How does deliberate sin reject Christ's sacrifice? Christ died so that we can be free from that and have the, you know, a new spirit that can turn away from those things and pursue godliness. And so then when we, when we deliberately sin, we're rejecting that freedom and turning back to the thing that we're killing us before that we, we say that we're free from now. Mm-hmm.
in order to make themselves autonomous from God. And we, by deliberately sinning after we know the truth, are saying, no, my truth is not satisfactory enough. My way is better, just like they did. And therefore, God is not worth knowing. God is not worth following. And Christ's death was a waste of time. Mm. Yeah. And essentially, uh, society today is doing, even Christian society today is doing something very similar. Mm -hmm. uh, those who say they're Christian do not change, uh, but have faith. So you cannot have faith without heart change. Yeah. You cannot also, you can also cannot know Jesus without being changed by him. Yeah. And so the author of Hebrews is telling us that sin delivery deliberately is to not have Jesus within you. Yeah. Because the result of us being placed in the covenant grace of God is to be changed by that grace. Mm -hmm. And so I cannot I no longer identify myself with a sin. I'm an angry man. I'm a whatever man. I'm a well man. It doesn't matter. If that is not fading away and Christ is not becoming more and more glorious to you, and you conforming yourself to his path and his will, that you are no you are not in Christ in the first place. Like that's just a simple. That's 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 a very difficult thing for our world to hear, mm -hmm. uh, but it is a very simple identification of children, God's children, who is actually God's child, not the one who continues to sin deliberately, but the one in verse John said, "If yeah. you do sin, you have an advocate before the Father." In that, is that a child? Yeah, and that's if you do sin, not. When you sin, or yeah, well, yeah, when you continue on sinning, you have an habit. No, it's if you sin. That's not the expectation. And if you want more thoughts on that, then you should just read all of First John. Excellent book talking about, huh? The whole Bible, yes, but First John on this issue. Um, he he goes on to give this example. He's this kind of comparison to kind of bring this idea to light, uh, to to life. And he says, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think? And we'll stop there um, for a second. I, I want, what does it mean to set aside the law of Moses? Disobey the Ten Commandments, yeah. Just not care about them at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That's yeah. 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 Um, to, to kind of highlight this a little bit, um, in, includes all those things. And I think it's really well summed up in the end of end of Moses' law in Deuteronomy. Um, so in Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20, I'll just read it for you today. He says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your hearts turn away and you will not hear but are drawn to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you will surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess." 
I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord your that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. So notice that, set again, I think it's right. It's not obeying the Ten Commandments. It's um, not caring about them, but also embodied in, into the, the, just keeping the commandments is not loving God, right? We see this all over in the, in, in the Bible. Those who love me will keep my commandments, right? And so I think, I think even, even foundational, besides setting aside the law of Moses too, it's just a flat out rejection of, of God and his ways and who he is and his laws and his commandments. It's all of that. Yeah, right? So how much worse a punishment when God has shown his love even more fully through sending his son to reveal to his to, to reveal to us his invisible image, to make known to us his, his attributes, his kindness, his mercy, his love, to die on the cross, right? When we were enemies against him, Jesus Christ gives us a bigger picture of who God is of who God is even more than Moses' law and the commandments. And so if, if the people died under just rejecting Moses' law, then the question is how much worse of a punishment when you have the full revelation of who Christ is, or who God is in Jesus Christ? Do you see the comparison there? You're not just rejecting, you're not just rejecting this God that you kind of see through an image. No, we see, we see God more clearly through Jesus. And to reject Jesus in his sacrifice. That means that we are due of a worse punishment, one that is infinitely more terrifying than those who just simply rejected the law of Moses. And so that's what he's trying to, he's trying to bring out to these people, that they are putting themselves in a very terrible situation. And so he ends, he ends this section by saying, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, some people don't think that the wrath of God is a real thing, <laughs> but that's not true. This, he, some people even say that the wrath of God in the New Testament is just not really a concept. It's impersonal. It's not really, it's, it's just a, it's a fact of the moral order. It's just a, something that happens in a sinful world. No, God is responsible for punishing those who do wickedness, who reject him. And, um, let me ask a question. How does it, how is a warning used to encourage believers to persevere? So he's warning them to do this, but he's, he's also giving this warning for them to persevere. So how, how should we think of, how are warnings used to encourage those to persevere? What's the hope behind a warning? The hope is the warning does its job so that you don't have to get punished. Right. Yeah. Right, you say, "Hey, maybe don't open your Christmas presents early. Otherwise, I'll have to take it from you." The hope of me saying that is, you don't open them, right? So I don't think this warning is saying, and and I think even in the next section we'll see this more clearly. This warning is not saying that the that the author of Hebrews thinks that these believers aren't believers, but he sees them on a slippery slope. He sees them in danger, and so he gives them a warning to push them to persevere. He's saying. This is what this is the fate that awaits for those who sin deliberately, who turn their backs on God after they they know the knowledge of the truth. And so, don't do that. This is the consequences. Don't do that. And he he expects better of them. And so, we should take that as encouragement. He goes to what uh, he said elsewhere. 
to that we are striving to make our calling to election sure. Mm. It doesn't mean that these works contribute to our calling to mm. election. Yeah. They rather prove the the genuineness of the ex experience that we claim to have in being born again. Mm. And that's good, and that's another thing that we can do is we can we can evaluate ourselves and see where am I sinning deliberately? Right? That's a natural question, right? And where am I sinning deliberately? And how should I give that that sin up and give that to God? And and even using the fear of God to motivate us in some ways. It's not necessarily um a bad thing, because at the end of the day, the truth is everyone's going to fall into the hands of God, right? You either fall into to his hands as the powerful, just creator or you fall into his hands as a gracious, merciful redeemer. And so you're going to fall into his hands either way. I just would rather prefer the merciful, gracious hands rather than the, the, the just, just hands, even though those two aren't necessarily opposed, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't think anybody's thinking. Yeah. I think there is a very distinct point that's being made when going on sinning deliberately. Yeah. Sin in my life. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, in, in a sense, I'm deliberately sitting in the mood. I make a decision to get angry at my kids when I shower, say something I shouldn't. So I think there's a very clear distinction on going on sinning, including mm. the fact that you're living a lifestyle yep. that's accepting, I'm okay with this, not these sins that we commit probably daily, mm -hmm. every one of us. Um, I just want to make that distinction behind what yeah. you between just because you are sinning. Deliberately, yeah. Sure, yeah. No, that's good, and that's a very helpful clarification to this whole conversation. But there's a deliberateness to it. Like, I'm gonna go and deceive this person so that maybe I can get this gain. Mm -hmm. There's, you have the intent of wanting to sin for whatever whatever reason, but like you're predecided to sin. Mm -hmm. I don't say it's a it's a ongoing thing that you are okay with and you decide yeah. I'm gonna live this way. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna fight against it. Because I yeah. think there there can be instances of like premeditated sin yeah. that you then confess and and repent afterwards and you decide to fight again. But yeah. I don't think premeditated sin is a fruit of an unforgiven heart altogether. I think a lifestyle that is over on going on doing that. Yeah, no, that's yeah. Go it's the difference between struggling against yeah. or blanketing blinds. Yeah, that's the two different. I think that's the different thing. Yeah, yeah. We, we want to struggle to strive against knowing that we are sinners, but it's the love of sin itself that is the unforgiving, isn't the unforgiveness. Yeah, and I think I think if you're and just in general, if you're struggling with kind of seeing the difference between those two things, right? Because because sometimes that in our lives that image can get really blurry, right? Am I loving sin or am I just deliberately sinning? Like, what I'm having a hard time telling what I am in that motive or in that moment. That's when it's helpful to bring other believers in to have them evaluate your life, right? I, it's sin because it's a because sometimes it is a conscious choice, right? We need the body. To come in and say, "Hey, you know, I I know you. I know your lifestyle. I I I know the Word of God. Uh, let me hear your situation. I can I can give you some help in this. Let me let me let me test you against Scripture. That's a helpful thing. Um, and so sometimes I think it's helpful to bring other believers in to kind of 
help us become be accountable to the word and help us evaluate ourselves because sometimes we can deceive ourselves and we can be in a much worse situation than we actually think that we're in. And so if you're having trouble with making that distinction between am I do I love sin as a, as a lifestyle or am I just deliberately sinning and I'm just struggling with this issue? Don't struggle with that alone. That's another use of the body. Bring somebody else in the body into that, into that sin struggle and help that and let them walk alongside alongside you with that. Um, and I promise you, you'll have so much more confidence and so much more assurance when you're walking along with somebody than when you're just struggling with it by yourself. And so that's a, that's a very good um, point to add. And that's a, that's a, there's so many more scriptures that kind of speak to that point, but that's, that's just really good. So, so yeah, there's, there's a exhortation, there's a warning and briefly in the last five minutes, I want to just show you guys this reminder. And so I think in all these, I think he's giving us different tools to persevere, right? He's giving us the things we should do. So we should search the word of God to see what we should do, what we should, what we should be called to, um, you know, the, the means of grace by which God has given us to encourage to encourage us to persevere. So we talked about it, you know, reading the scriptures, prayer, the assembling of the, of the people, you know, holding fast to our confession, those things. We should also yeah, keep before us the, the negative downsides of the things that happen to those who aren't in the faith or what the world promises but actually can't deliver on. Sin never makes good on its promises. And so we should we should keep those things in mind if we if we want to persevere. But the last tool that he gives us is reminder or remembering. And this is something that you see all throughout the Bible. Many times in the Bible, he says, you know, forget not the Lord's benefits. Remember how God worked in this way, in the Exodus, at the cross. So he he goes on to say in verse 32, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering sometimes being publicly accused to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And so he encourages them to remember the faith that they displayed in the, fa- in, in the past, the way that God had worked in their lives and, and, gave the, and gave them faith to even have their property taken away. Why? Because they remember something else. They remember the great reward that they had in the future, you know, the, the, the better possession and the one that actually is abiding. And so remembering or keeping in front of our minds, you know, the day that's coming near or what Christ has done in our lives lives in the past, or the reward that we will get when we see Jesus face to face, that is something that we can use as believers to encourage ourselves. And so a very helpful thing is to even just be in the, in the mindset of thinking, you know, we do this every Sunday night at pray, prayer gathering, where has God worked in our lives this week? Who has God been for you this week? Or well, how has God, what has God done for me today in which I can be thankful for? Right. Um, and ultimately, this is why this sets up, you know, chapter 11, you know, chapter 11, which is, you know, the hall of, of faith. Right. The, the author is just reminding us of, of the faith that he's that God has given through these to these people. He's just reminding them of the ways in which God has sustained his people and reminded them of the promises that they had to to encounter after you know death. And so in the same way, we should be people who are consciously remembering who God is, what he's done in our lives, what he's done in others' lives, what he's done in, in biblical uh, times, uh, and, and the reward that we have in the future. 
And so, do you guys have any thoughts on reminding? We're running a little short on time, but I wanted to just finish that little section. So he calls us to, to those three exhortations. He gives us a warning, and he calls us to remember all in the hopes that we would persevere. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get ready for the circus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for taking your, your doctrines, your truths of, of who you are and giving it to us in a way in which we can live it. Lord, you have given us access to your Son and, and to your throne. Help us to utilize that. Help us to not take it for granted that we can draw near to you in your word and in prayer and through the assembling of the body. Help us to remember that the promises of this world will never compare to what God has for us. Help us to remember the fact that we have a, a great reward, one that is imperishable, undefiled, and is waiting for us uh, all more as the day is drawing near. Help us as we gather today to encourage one another, to stir each other up to good works, and to live as one body who pushes each other to live all the more as the day is drawing near. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.